Welcome to another episode of Owning the Brave. I'm your host, Jasper, and this week's guest is Barbara Gray. Barbara is founder of Clarity Stamp. Uh, Clarity Stamp is an arts and crafts company which has won five awards this year, including Blogger of the Year, Designer of the Year, Product of the Year, Retailer of the Year, and Best Brand. In this episode, we're going to explore what makes her tick and what's the secret of her success. How did she build a team? How does she thrive through recession? And her, her journey where she started from nothing and built the company to three million. Let's welcome Barbara. My name is Barbara, Barbara Gray, and I run um, a really vibrant little art business. And um, there are about 45 of us now working there full time. And we have a really cool team of young designers. I also am an illustrator and um, we make um, stamps and stencils and dyes and all kinds of art materials for the craft world and the art world. We run from the idea to the design. So we do the drawings, we do the layouts, we make the products, we package the products, we design the packaging, we do everything in-house, we, we assemble the product, we take it to market, I go on shopping channels to sell it. So there is a lot of, um, there's a, there are lots of different strands to our business, but we tend to keep it quite autonomous, which keeps it quite buoyant. And we've got a lot of control around the business um, because we, we don't outsource. We, 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 we seldom outsource. The only things that we, we send away from the business to be done are things that can't be made in England. That's, that's why we do it. So our business is, a, despite the, the turbulent market at the moment, we seem to be in this fantastic little clarity bubble. So that's, that's where I'm at at the moment, and it, it's going really well. It isn't where I thought I would be. I had no expectations, you know. Uh, if you go back to when I started, when I was 18, I mean, I was 60 uh, recently. When I go back to when I was a young girl, I had no, no intention ever of becoming an entrepreneur. It was never on my radar. I just wanted to be happy and to have children and to, and to have a good career. Uh, I wanted to be, an, funnily enough, I wanted to be an artist. But though in those days, in the 80s, my father, bless him, and, and I know he, he always meant well. He wanted me to go to university, but he didn't think that there was ever going to be a future in art for me. And so I had to go to university to to do an academic degree, which I did. I did languages. And, um, and I spent the first 10 years of my life living in Germany doing that, doing languages. You know, I used it. Is that, was that straight after university or was it during that time? No, it was after university. Once I graduated from university, this is a very pivotal point. Can I tell you about what happened? Of course. Of course. Right. So what happened was I graduated from university with a fair enough, you know, it was a, it was a, a good degree. It was a degree. It wasn't anything. I, I liked to party. I liked to dance. I always, I always liked having a good time as well. So I wasn't driven. I wasn't crazy for, you know, for my career. I just, I just wanted to have a good time. I was a happy person. Still am. And, um, and then after I graduated, I went for an interview. Now, in those days, in the 80s, there were, they were quite, they were, there was this trend in interviewing when you went for a job. It was quite lean and mean. It was in the Thatcher years. And um, this would be before your time. But it was, a pretty, it was pretty savage in those, in those days. 
there were about 4.2 million people unemployed in England. It was quite hard to get a job. Um, but I'd come out with quite a specialised degree in linguistics with several languages attached to it. And so I went off to London um, to seek my fortune. I thought I'd get a really good job. And I went for this one particular interview, Jasbir, and it was so distressing and so traumatising. This guy was such an ass, and it was so uncomfortable that um, he made me feel so useless and so less than. And, and at 22, obviously, I, it, it hit me hard because we'd worked so hard for this degree. And then there were, you know, I can remember him saying, we've had oodles, oodles of applicants. And I remember thinking, how many, how many oodles of people speak all these languages, really? You know, how many oodles of people speak French and German and Spanish and English? Are there that many people out there, you know? And, um, and I remember coming out of the interview and I can remember he'd offered me four and a half thousand pounds a year. And my brother, who was a groundsman, he was, he was on £8,000 a year as a guy. Wow, double. And I thought, oh my God, I won't even be able to, I'd have to supplement, I wouldn't be able to live in London on that. I mean, was, 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 was there a prejudice against women at, at the time, you know, that women are less intelligent or less Exactly. Right. It was exactly that. The, a woman's, it was very difficult to secure a good, a good position as a woman. Women got paid less, uh, were less than, subordinate, you know, it was quite hardcore. And so at the time, I just, there was just a, sh a massive shift in my head. And I thought, I never want to be put in that position again, basically. And so, so it was so funny. I just made a decision to work for myself. Because I thought, if I, if I work for myself, then I'll never have to go for another interview. And after you know, that one experience, that after you that decided. One experience, yeah, wow. it was that rough. And, okay. and how old were you then? 22. 22, wow. And I, I have never worked for anybody since then. I've never worked for anybody. I've done freelance work where you just get paid to do hourly work, but I've never been employed. I have never been on a PAYE contract. I've never been given a day's holiday paid, except when I've created it myself now. Um, so it was quite comical when people think of me as this extraordinary entrepreneur. Would you, would you at the time, were you thinking about, uh, is it, was it, were you angry at that specific person or did you think, you know what, you know, women don't get opportunities anyway, so I'm not going to bother. What was it? No, I don't think that it was, I wasn't angry. I was just devastated. And I think I come, I'm coming at it from a, I don't know, it's in my DNA. I think I, I came at it from the point of view of fear of rejection. I just did not want to put myself in that position again, you know? Right. And yeah. so I would go to any lengths to avoid that situation. And if it meant being a freelancer and just getting paid by the hour or creating my own future, my own security, then so be it. I didn't want, and, and also I could feel that there was, a big, there was a big issue around females. In fact, I ended up having to move to Germany. I left and went to Germany at that point. And I, I also think that when I, when I moved to Germany, this sounds a little bit strange, but back in the 80s, I think it's less so now, but back in the 80s, there was almost like a kind of a, a there was a class system, there still is in this country, but in England, there was a very, if you talked with a plum in your mouth and you were extremely educated and it, people associated speaking ever so poshly with, um, with, you know, it was absolutely, yeah. like, if you spoke like this, then you, you obviously came from a good family and, um, and you'd had an education. But if you talk like I did, and you talk like you came out of London, which I did, 
then clearly, you know, I can remember my lecturer at university saying to me, if you can't say butter and you keep saying butter, you will never move forward in, in, in your linguistic field. And I remember thinking, wow. but, but bloody hell, surely it's got to do with what's in here in my head, not the way I, I pronounce it. I, can, I mean, I can spell very well. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just the way I, I pronounce it. And when I went to Germany, it was neutral. Nobody, nobody knew that I come from London, that I come from a working class family, that I don't come from the actual, you know, the, you know that, that side of society. And at this point, you can speak German and you can speak a few other languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My Mutter is Deutsche. My mum is German. So I, was, <laughs> okay. I, so I was bilingual. So when I went to Germany, um, I spoke German with a very, uh, um, a very educated accent. There we are. You see, so that was the difference. I didn't have that dialect. And so I ended up, forging ahead in Germany and I created a little language school and and so by the time I was like 29 years old there were about 50 people working at the language school translators teachers we were all expats we were all degree people from England who couldn't get a job in the 80s in, uh, yeah. in England and so we'd all migrated to Germany and it was a really successful language business you know and so that was what I did in those that's what I did in those in those first years and so art was never on my radar. You know, I used to doodle. I used to doodle a lot and draw for therapy, you know, for, to keep my mind just to switch off, really. That was what it was for. Um, wow. But I didn't, I, I, I wasn't from the art world. I was from the corporate world. And right. language... So you, 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 you were one of those people that, you know, in the, in the middle of the day starts daydreaming and starts sketching for, without even looking and all of a sudden you have something nice on the paper. Yeah. Was it? Were you okay? Wow. Or, or for example, in between lessons, because I used to teach a lot, I used to teach German business people, English, business English. And, right. uh, and so I, I taught adults and, and I would, I can remember often I would sit at home and I would draw, just draw pen and ink, pen and ink, pen and ink was my thing. And then I would make lesson plans and I would, I would have a piece of paper and I'd be sketching next to the lesson plans. It was just something that I did. I enjoyed it, you know? And so when I got to 29 or 30 years old, um, I met an American guy. Because I lived in Nuremberg, I was in the, in the American zone. Um, got it. Back in those yeah. days, Germany was cut up into three sections, or four sections if you include the Russians. And I was living in Nuremberg, which was the, the American um, zone. And so I met this American attorney, lawyer, and, um, and off we went to California. There you go. It was like, right, well, you know see an opportunity, grab it. And I'd had enough of Germany at that point. And so, um, so I gave up that business and I went off to live in California. Wouldn't you? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So, so you ran this business for a few years yeah. and then what, what, what was, uh, were you in partnership with someone or was it just, yeah, I was, I was in partnership, team? I was in partnership with, uh, with a Scotsman and, right. uh, but the deal that we'd made is he who leaves, leaves it behind because there were so many, people that were reliant on it that you you couldn't you couldn't split it up it was too you know we were all young we were all young postgrads we didn't know what we were doing anyway we were just happy to be making a living and and surviving you know we made a good fat living off it as well we really did and um but i wasn't sad to walk away from it either it was that was fine so you're making money from this and you're not you're not if you left it behind, you weren't like, oh my God, I'm leaving this behind. It could be massive. It could be that wasn't at the back of your mind. No, not wow. at all. No, no. I, you know, 
I enjoyed it for what it was. But in the end, it got bigger and bigger. In the beginning, it was just Alan and myself. And, um, and then we were good at what we did. And then we brought on more people and more freelancers and more freelancers. And it, got, it grew and grew and grew to the point where um, I wasn't actually doing what I enjoyed, which was the teaching aspect of it. I was more right. involved in, the, in business acquisition. I was more involved in, in timetabling, in coordinating. And so in the end, I found I was spending 12 hours a day doing something that wasn't really my passion or what I was enjoying. But it made good money. And then what happened was I had a little baby. I had a daughter. And then it becomes very difficult to, to work and, and, have a, and have a baby. This is, this is now you're in California? Is that, is that... Well, I'm still in Germany at this you're point. You're still in Germany and then you yeah, have a baby. And I'm okay. still at the language school at this point. Right, got it. Okay. And, and then this opportunity comes for you to go to California. And then the opportunity comes for me to go to California. And because I had, ha- I had Grace, my daughter, my little girl, and she was, um, it was very difficult to run the business because it was getting bigger and bigger. And I was dropping Grace off to a, a babysitter at six o'clock in the morning. And I was picking her up again at six o'clock at night. And she was six months old. And I just thought, this is crazy. Why have I got a baby? What's the point? Why did I have this little baby? Bearing in mind that all I ever wanted was a little baby and a happy family, you know? And so, wow. I had to, okay. so when the opportunity, what happened was when my husband at the time, when he said, right, let's, we can rotate out of Germany and we can move to, to California. I said, this is my opportunity. So it's very difficult to resign from your own business. It, it is actually quite difficult. But that was the opportunity that I had and I, I walked. And at the time, your husband, your partner, was he, was, was he supportive of you to move to California? or was yeah, he? Yeah. yeah, he absolutely understood it. He was a black American. He was a, he was an African American dude, right? Right. I'm getting right into it here, but this is a fact. I married an African American, uh, like a, a black dude, a black lawyer from New York. Right. And, um, and at that time in Germany, the wall had just come down. There was a big re, there was a, the reunification of Germany was taking yeah. place. This was in 1990, about that time. Right. And, um, and so basically, at that point, there was quite a lot of racial tension in Germany. Well, to put it mildly, and sure. um, and Americans, they weren't very they weren't very welcome in that area anyway. Now, bearing in mind that I spoke perfect German, so nobody knew that I was English. Hmm? Wow. Okay. Nobody knew that I was English, but then when I was married to a black American, then of course I I got the full force of the the animosity towards Americans and. Right. Uh, and towards black, black and white mixed marriages in the 80s, that was not as accepted as it is now. Right, got it. Got it? And, then, and, and so that is all part of my story as well. So I was sort of back in the trend at several different levels, really. For example, you know, first of all, I, I didn't work for anybody, I only worked for myself. Then I married a black dude, which, you know, that, that was frowned upon by a lot of people. And I suppose because I was married to a black dude and we were in a very racial, there was a lot of racial tension in Germany after the reunification. So when the opportunity presented itself to move to California, I thought, yeah, I think this is a smart move. Right. So that that was one of the driving forces for you to, you know, especially because you're married to this person where there's a lot of animosity towards you. You'll think, okay, this life might be easier and better in in America than in in California. Right. Because California, we, I thought it was, a, it, I had, I thought it wasn't the deep south. And I thought there'll be less 
you know, very liberal, isn't it? In, in San Francisco, we thought Northern California, very liberal, you know, mixed marriage, we'll be more welcome there, that will work. But to be honest, that wasn't how it panned out. However, it was my exit from, from Germany, you know? Right. Okay. And then, then what happened in California? So, so where did clarity, clarity stamp come in? So you had a moment of clarity, you mentioned. I did have a moment of clarity. Where, where was that? Was that back in London? Was it in, in California? No, that was in California. That was in California. So what had happened was then I'd moved, to, um, I'd moved to California and then I had a second child. I had a little boy as well. I mean, these kids now, Gracie was 29 years old yesterday. It was her birthday yesterday. So she's 29. My son is 27 now. They're beautiful, beautiful mixed race people, just wonderful. And they both live, funny enough, they both live in the States. But at the time, yeah, so I was over in, in America and I was, of course, I'd given up my business and I was still working uh, long distance on teaching programs for, for the language school in Germany, but it wasn't really cutting it. And at the time, I started drawing more and more. This is where the drawing came in. And the reason I started drawing was because I'd start, I, I, I was drinking a lot, to be frank. I I'd sure. started to catch up with me. I think I mentioned it to you when we had a chat before. And I'd started drinking more than I should have been. And it was very difficult. I'd always liked to party. Remember I said I was yeah. enjoying the party. But this was, this is, it started to creep up on me. And when you've got children, it's, it's not easy to drink and have children and be a good mum. And, you know, it was, it was going a little bit pear-shaped for me. And so I, I realized that I needed to stop drinking because it was getting uncomfortable. And, and so that's what I call my moment of clarity. And when I stopped drinking, and I smoked as well, because that was quite a thing, you know, smoking and drinking. Sure. And I, was one, I was one of those women. <laughs> and so, so I thought, well, I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop smoking because it's not good for the kids. and It's not good for me. It's not good for the marriage. And then I started drawing because I needed to do something with my hands, you know, because I had a glass of wine in one hand and a fag in the other hand, and that was the way I operated. And then I thought, no. And the thing about America is they were really down on cigarettes. The Germans, they smoke like chimneys. So it was far more acceptable over there. When I went to America, people were really down on the smoking. And they, they liked to drink, but they, they were down on the, on the cigarettes. And so... So I gave up these two vices of mine. And there I was with my left and my right hand, like, what am I going to do? Because I couldn't, I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't want to start eating. (laughs) You know, so I I started working out like a lunatic and going to the gym and running around California (laughs) trying to stay fit. And then when I sat down, I started drawing. Because I thought, get with your hands, get busy, get busy, get busy. And so I started drawing. And that was how actually this current company, here we are now, 26 years later, this is how the company was born because I started drawing. And then, so then I started drawing. And then what happened was I was, because of my linguistic background, I started drawing a phonic alphabet for children because the kids in, in, in America, they didn't, uh, I felt that they, they weren't, they weren't aware of their nursery rhymes, you know, like children. Right. Bearing in mind, I've got two little kids, and they weren't aware of their nursery rhymes. And, and nursery rhymes and rhyme and rhythm are so important for language acquisition, so vital for language acquisition. So I went on this quest to illustrate this phonic alphabet of nursery rhymes, which I still actually is still one of our best sellers today, ironically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But that's how it started. 
And so I taught myself the process of mechanical overlays and, um, and art and graphics and how to, yeah, I just, I just self-taught. I taught myself how to do it. So you had this skill of, you know, art and craft, but you, what about the business side of things? Uh, did you pick up any skills when you, your time at Germany with the, with the business partner you had running exactly that? that? Did exactly. that, did that help you? Oh, it was the, it was the foundation, which is why I'll be forever grateful to my father for insisting that I went to university and did a commercial degree or a, 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 an academic degree, which made me, which forced me into corporate. So for the first 10 years of my life, I was very much in corporate. And then when I started my arty journey, that came to bear. Now, I know, I know a lot of artists and creative people who are, they don't have that background. They don't have that, um, that corporate background, that business background. They don't know how a business, how to run a business. And, and a lot of those artists are quite vulnerable because they get exploited by sharks in the business world. You know, it's, it's not uncommon. And, um, and I was very fortunate because of my, my business acumen in the 80s when I was in Germany I learned so much running my own business there that then I was able to apply that to my art business and so how much of a difference is it now just to quickly compare to today's modern business model where you have social media which plays a massive massive part how different is it in your view back in the 80s and now massive no comparison no comparison Mm -hmm. Even in the 80s and the, and the 90s, there, the social media wasn't there. It didn't exist. And so we relied very heavily on reps, on sales reps. That was, that was the only thing that could get your product out there was a sales force. And so you were working with humans, um, men and women who went out and they, they had a massive network and they had to distribute your, your product and your brand mechanically, physically. Now they're redundant. There is no need for that, for that sales force any longer. Not really. Because if you, marketing has changed so massively now. We do all that ourselves in-house now. We have our own marketing team within our business. Whereas in going back 10 years, say, even 10 years, we relied very heavily on printed matter, on magazines. Magazines were a big conduit in in the early phase of this business, the art business, um, it was very much uh, magazine-driven, you know, art magazine, craft magazine. What would you say? Is it, is it easier now uh, than before? Never, Never been, been easier. easier. Never been easier. Piece of okay. cake. You, something very interesting you said about a few moments ago about, you know, your corporate background was, a, was an asset to you as well as your experience in Germany yes. uh, starting your business. A lot of people... Uh, who have corporate jobs have that dream and aspiration of one day starting their own business, but they never get there. It's it's always at the back of their mind. You know, a few things that uh, that commonly run is the job security, the comfort zone. You know, who's going to listen to me? Who's going to buy from me? And and you you give a great example of you know, listen, I had an experience where someone else was judging me in an interview, and you decided I never want to go through that again. And then you mentioned. Uh, uh, you know, your corporate background helped you. A lot of people don't use that as an experience. Uh, they, they think they, 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 they use that more in a negative sense than a positive oh, sense. So how did you, you know, look at that situation? So if you were to ask someone now who's in a corporate job earning good money, most likely they'll say, you know, I'm comfortable. I have financial security. Why would I leave? Or, you know, 
I have aspirations and goals. They're, so they'd rather be unhappy in a corporate job yeah. and have the security and comfort than leave and do something they really enjoy. But you took that differently. And I'm wondering what was going through your head there? I suppose I'm, a very, uh, I'm very hands-on. That's obvious. That's why I have an art company. I'm very hands-on. Right. The second thing is that money has never been my driver. Right. Money has never been my, my driver. I remember my dad always used to say to me when I started the art business, he used to say, well, when are you going to get a proper job? When are you going to get a real job? Because he worked, he was an engineer with British Gas, you know, and he wanted that security. And I used to say to him, but dad, there is no such thing as security. The only security that I have is in knowing that there is no such thing as security. I have to make my own security. I feel a lot, lot safer. I mean, when people who are employed or the guys that you're talking about now, who, who think that they have security in their businesses. See, I wouldn't feel secure if I was hinging my security on somebody else's. Living in America taught me something very interesting. Even though I was married to a lawyer, right, you would think financial security, right? One thing that I learned, and it's, it's something that you, it's, it's, more, um, it's more tangible in the States than it is in Europe. At, it certainly was then, and I, and I, but I think there's a shift now. You're only two bad decisions away from being homeless. That I learned. Wow. I learned that so, so thoroughly in America. And it was it's always at the front of my mind. And those two decisions are not necessarily my two decisions. They're not my two bad decisions. They're somebody else's bad decisions. And I've seen it so many times, you know, that one person makes a bad decision and then there's a complete shift in security. Then another bad decision on top of that one and bang, the shit hits the fan, you know. And it's not necessarily my bad decision if you see what i mean even sure. at this stage even even with my autonomy i mean i've created my own security now you know yeah but i've watched people in in very what you call secure positions and then they walk in one morning boom the company's been sold and they haven't got a job how i yeah. mean you must meet these people all the time oh yeah absolutely i mean the, the amount of people i meet that claim you know they're very happy they're very comfortable uh, you know, and I always talk about creating your own personal economy, you know, creating your own bubble. It's, it's very, very important. Like you mentioned, you know, your, your business is almost, let's call it recession proof. You know, there's been recessions, the Brexit's come in and you have been pretty much secure. You've been growing faster than ever. It's very important that you take control of your destiny. Absolutely. You, you leaving something to someone else, A, it's making them wealthier, not you. It's securing their future, not yours. And second thing is, you know, like you said, you know, they could sell the company, they could, they could make a decision which turns out to be a really bad decision. And at the end of the day, you know, this still might be okay, but you won't be. But it's your ass on the line. Absolutely. I mean, what's, how much security do you have? Your security is, let's say, a month. That's your notice period. For if me, you're lucky. For me, at this stage in my life, and it's, it's, you see, I am the sum of my experiences. So I had the bad experience with the unemployment, with the 4.2 unemployment and that feeling of not being important. I had that. Then in Germany, I had that sense of, um, I had that corporate, you know, which was hardcore. And I had to, what I learned in Germany also was to always work from the worst case scenario. And so I would have a little notebook. And I would write out exactly how much money I needed to earn to, um, 
to survive actually right and i never lived beyond that if i if you live beyond that misery if right. you it doesn't matter how much you earn you just have to know that you can't spend more than you've got and that sounds so simple but it's the absolute truth and and so like even at this stage in my life i don't have a credit card i do not have a credit card okay <laughs> No, I don't need one. If I have, if I can't, if the money's not in the bank, then I'm not spending it. And and there are people that would say that's crazy, and I say that makes for a very very soft pillow at night. Sure, yeah, that's that's that, that takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, but by the same token, it's wants and needs, isn't it? What do you want? What do you need? Do I need a new car? No. Uh, do I need a car? Yes. Does it have to be a new one? No. You know. Um, so, and I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not frugal. I'm not tight. I'm not careful. I'm just sensible. That's all it is. I'm just sensible. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know. I remember, I don't remember who said this quote, but I had it from Deepak Chopra. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. yeah. He may, he said, he said something like, uh, we, we spend money. We don't have, we buy things we don't need to impress people. We don't like. And that's the truth. There you go. Exactly. I couldn't have put it better myself, you know, and I, and for me, these are the things that I learned, you know, cause I was a single parent for quite a while also. And so I learned to um, cut my cloth very carefully. I, I learned to, I used to say I can make pasta stretch from here to Naples, you know, <laughs> and, but everything that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. When I'm always grateful, and that's another thing. I think it's the, it's the glass half full, glass half empty. You know, I, I'm always grateful, and, and I'm happy with what I have got. I don't, I'm not always frustrated about what I haven't got. I'm grateful for what I have got. And I think that that, that mindset is, is vital. If you're going to run your own business, I think, one, you need to know, you need to keep the costs, the fixed costs, so low. You, you know, I've seen, people, I've seen people lose everything because they're fixed costs. And the word, the operative word is fixed. Rents, they're fixed. You know, mortgages, they're fixed. And so, like, if you saw my business, you would, you would chuckle. It looks, it looks like a shanty town because it's, it's not a huge corporate, beautiful building. We started out with one little industrial unit. When it got too big, we went to the next one and then the next one and the next one. And so in the end, we are, we are renting pretty much the whole farm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Ah, it's all separate units. So should there be a downturn, we could just start de down, downsizing again. Wow, that's, that's very smart. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And so that's the way we roll. So at the moment, we're expanding and expanding and expanding. Should, there, should something change or should there be a shift, then we can just we can stop that contract with that particular unit. We've got individual units. You right. know? And, so, and I've seen people come unglued where they have over... You know when you, 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 you forecast, you can't, you can't predict the future. You can only, you can only do the best that you can do yeah. Today, I there is. Do you remember those two bad decisions? I don't yeah. know what's going to happen up the road. Christ, we've got Brexit up the road. That could completely wipe out all my export or all my import. I don't know. You know, 
I, sure. I, I haven't got any control over that. I can put some, I can put some things in place, but I, I have, ultimately, I don't have any control over that. So I can only control the controllable, and the controllable is my fixed costs. Right, that's, wow, that's, that's a golden nugget here, right there. Wow, okay. Was there that a moment? Sense? It does, absolutely, yeah. I want to go back to the point when you, when you said you started creating, you created your first product. Yeah. Was there a, what was the moment you thought, I've made it, now this business is taking off and this no, is a success? No. it's not like that though. You see, it's not like that. Was there a product, was there something, something at the beginning of your journey where you thought, okay, now I'm making sales, now we're getting somewhere, now I can live off, or was it never like that no, for a long time? No, no, it's never like that. It's so funny. You know, when we're having this chat now and, uh, and before we started talking, I was thinking about how did I end up here actually? You know, and the way I've ended up here is by, by taking each day at a time, literally taking each day at a time. And, and one of the things that I, I would say is that I think it's, it's very important to note that I've never wanted to get bigger. I've never, you know, like people think a successful business has to be a big business. Uh-huh. Right. I disagree with that. I don't concur with that. I think I've never wanted to get bigger. I've only ever wanted to get better, better and better. Whatever it is we're doing, let's just make it better. You know, um, last year, we had an opportunity to go into the US uh, on, um, on the shopping channel and to go into Germany on the shopping channel. And this would have exploded our business. And people saw the potential, but I wasn't, 100, I wasn't convinced. Um, and I, I declined the US shopping tv i didn't shut the door completely i just i just postponed it not today right and we actually did go into the german tv because i speak fluent german it was a piece of cake and it's europe and i thought before brexit hits let's let's give it a go and so off we went but it was so uncomfortable and unpleasant and not joyous right where clarity stamp is a really lovely lovely place to work and I think you could ask any of the people, give or take one or two. And they yeah. would say, it's always the law of averages, you can't always it. But, you know, by and large, it's a really great place to work and, and, I'm, and a happy place. And when we were doing this QVC gig in Germany, it just wasn't. It was like going from a minefield. And um, it wasn't the way that we were enjoying business. It wasn't, you know. So although it was going to expand our turnover, I'm not so sure about the profit. You know, turnover is for vanity, profit is for sanity. And, um, and even though the turnover was, was exponential, when you weighed up the anxiety and the angst and the nerves and the pressure on my team, it, it wasn't worth it. And so my point is, I, I walked away from it. Not all business is good business. And I think what happens is people were really surprised. Money people were really surprised when I, when I pulled away from the German contract, very surprised. Right. Do you understand? They couldn't yeah. believe that I'd done that. But for us as a company, which is why I'm saying it's not always, it doesn't matter. Getting bigger doesn't necessarily mean getting, getting better. You get right. better first. You get better. And as you get better, you get bigger by default. It has to happen. If you, if you just, you just got to keep trying to improve your game. But I've got a team of players. I'm not on my own. I've got a big team. And if I see that they're unhappy or they're struggling, then we have to stop and say, well, hang on a minute. This isn't working for our, for our company. 
And so there is always that. And ironically, as we, as we walked away from that business, another door opened, which is far more, a much better fit for us. Do you see? Absolutely. So, Not every opportunity is going to be right for you, but then when the right opportunity comes, it has to come, right? And, and that's where the next level comes. Yeah. I, I, I do read a lot of business books and listen to a lot of audio books. And I, I, if I remember correctly, I think the guy that wrote a Lean Startup, I think, Eric, Eric, Eric Ryle, I think, he mentioned where he uh, bought a company. Sorry, he started a company and uh, with a vision and, and you know, he was going to solve this problem. And, and it started really well and it started to grow. And then a point came where he just needed money to be pumped into the company. So he started taking on investors and not, not pe- people, those people didn't buy into his vision. They, he just wanted the money and it was a good fit in the way. And a point came where they're now clashing heads. Cool. And that company collapsed soon after. Yeah, I've seen and that so he, many times. And he goes, you know, it was, uh, had I resisted and rejected at the time, the money from those people, I was, that company would still be alive and still be running. But because I took on the people that weren't on the same mission, didn't the same, didn't have the same passion, vision, it started vision, it started to collapse. Yeah, because investors are there for an investment. That's what they want. They want, and, and at some point they will come a calling, and they want their ROI. They want their return on investment. And if you can't deliver, they are not patient. You know, and that's where. So we don't have investors. We don't have. We don't have an overdraft. We don't have. We don't have any of that. I owe nobody anything. You, you started with zero investment. Would, would, would that be right? Yeah. Right. Right now, how much does your company turn over? How much did we turn over? Yeah. Last year, we turned over just over $3 million. Wow. Just over $3 million. That, that is amazing. And, and I want to ask you questions around your team. You mentioned you have a, a team of 45. How do you find the right people? Right. Well, I never interview anybody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh no what i have a memory i remember how i felt that time remember right. that's why that's what i wanted to ask you because you, you had that experience interview. how do you find people no well funnily enough and i think this is the this is exciting that you've asked me this because most of the people that work with us have come from within so um we've got a lot of Sons whose mums work with us, or mums whose daughters work with us, or and when they come, like like when we got busy, I said to my daughter Grace, who used to work with us before she went to live in America, I said, ask ask Lizzie if she's busy. <laughs> <laughs> so then Lizzie came to work with us, who was her best friend, and then I said to Lizzie, Lizzie, have you got any friends who need work? And she said, Well, Tom's looking for a job. He can't find work. Tom now is my golden boy. He's been with me for nine years. And he is absolutely, what Tom doesn't know about my business, you don't need to know. And then, and then Tom brought Paul and then Pete, and Pete. And so, and they bring their friends and it works that way. You know, so, so not only, so you, you employ the person and then that person already is in the business and then that person knows that we need somebody else and says I've got a friend or my mum's looking for job for a job or my brother's just been laid off or do you see what I mean and then they come and it very seldom doesn't work it's every there have been occasions where it hasn't worked but I would say over the past 10 12 years 
it's, it works brilliantly like this. Every now and again, like Jane's daughter, she came and worked with us for four years, Chloe, but then she wanted to be a nurse and we don't do nursing. And she's, and it's fine. We, we kissed and hugged and she went to be a midwife and that's fine. Do you see what I mean? But she did four years with us and, and so it works. So sometimes someone will come and then they want to, like Grace, another Grace, she went to live in Switzerland then. But the point is that when we, our team has grown organically. So to me, um, we don't, the only times where we've actually ever had issues with staff is if we've run an ad in the newspaper that hasn't, that doesn't usually work. It only, it seems to work better if you, you already have a connection with the person before they come to you. Right. Okay. Or, for example, say a dear friend of mine comes to work, needs a job, I would rather employ the person and then wrap the job around that person. Because you, you employ the person and that person, you know that you're going to get on really well with that person and we're a very tight team, right? And then you teach the person the job that you need that person to do. Right, got it. Rather than have the job that you need and then go and find someone, it's a lot easier to teach someone that you already love the job than to learn to love somebody that can do the job. And I, and I guess you find this easier because you mentioned this earlier. I guess you find it easier to work with younger people because yeah, you can mold them a lot easier than someone who's been there, done it, and, yeah. and might be just looking for a payday really rather than you know, someone really interested in building a career and having a job. And also, I think with, the, with young people, what I found as well, and again, I have a memory, um, like several young people came and they were full of aspiration and they had their degrees and they had their hopes. And then they'd been, um, I would say they'd been bullied in other, posi- in other jobs. They'd been exploited. They hadn't been given a, a, a good, a, a fair platform or a chance. Sure. And so when they've come to us, they've already come with those scars. Do you understand? Yeah. And it's taken, and it takes time to, to build their confidence and to give them that arena where they can develop their own potential. And so clarity works at two different levels, really. It works, obviously, we provide a service for the craft industry and we provide products for the craft industry. And that's another thing about that, that whole uh, demographic, our customer base. That's a whole other podcast, to be honest. But it also works within so we not only provide a service for our customers, but we also provide a safe place for young people to work. That's, right. That is as important for me as the business side of it. To me, that is the business side. You've got a happy team, you've got a happy company. You've got a, you've got a good team. You've got a miserable team. You know, I don't understand why wouldn't you pay your people well. I can't understand if I can afford to pay my people well, why wouldn't I? Wow. Okay. It baffles me when I speak to other business people and they are trying to screw their staff. Like, why are you doing that? That is so short-sighted. You, you, you do think a lot different from a lot of people. Um, there's only a handful of people. One I can think of is it's definitely uh, uh, Richard Branson. He does say, What's, who's, who's the most important, uh, who are the most important people in your business? And he said, my employees. Of course they they're, are. They're, they're number one, and that's why his company was so successful. He goes, I look after them, they look after my clients. Yeah. I look after my clients, and I don't look after my employees. Eventually, my clients will leave. Well, of it's course a simple formula that, that you it's follow. It's not hard to understand, is it? And, and, and Branson also, and I absolutely concur with him on this, 
he always said, you teach, because I feel I have a responsibility to teach these guys. I teach them everything I've learned, all the things I learned in Germany, all the corporate, you know, I, 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 I share. We're, we're a sharing, caring company. But what I, what I feel is that when they, um, it's like Branson says, you teach them so well that they could leave, but you treat them so well that they don't want to. And, and that's, that's a Richard Branson adage. And I, I totally concur with that. But I was, I was thinking that long before Branson said it. Because I, I don't think it's hard. It's quite simple. I'm not a complicated person. All you've got to do is treat people the way you would like to be treated. Or I treat people the way I would like my children to be treated. You know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my kids are over in the States now. And I think when, when young people come to work with me, uh, that could be my daughter. That could be my son trying to make a living in the States. And I just, and I hope that their potential employers yeah. treat them decently too, because they deserve, they deserve it. You know, everybody deserves a good platform, a place, a safe place where they can work. Because that's another thing. I've got zero tolerance, zero tolerance for any bigotry. I don't do bigotry. The only time where I've, I've let people go like immediately, don't even sit down, you're out, is if I've detected any bullying or bigotry or racism or sexism, anything like that. I'm, I'm like, I'm quite hard on that. But that's necessary. What do you do in a situation, you know, when you've had uh, a person who's not compatible with you, with, with your values, with your vision, you know, and, 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 and uh, they're, they're taking advantage of that? Because I can see very easily yeah, how that. people... What do you do in that? How do you how do you deal with that situation? We well sleepless a lot a lot of people oh, sleepless nights. <laughs> yeah, I do ask that question because a lot of people, especially with business startup businesses, people hire their family members, and it becomes a similar thing. It becomes very difficult to really tell them that they're not pulling up their weight, they're not bought into the vision. They they just buy the thing. Oh my God, we're going to start a business. We're going to make millions, and we're going to be happy. Yeah, that's what they're buying into. They're not buying into. This is going to be slow. It's going to be tough. We're going to have long days. We're going to have tough times. We're going to have to make sacrifices to make this successful. They don't count that part. The part they do count is, you know, yeah, we're going to make millions and we're going to be overnight success. And, yeah. and with the family members, I guess it's even more challenging. What's your, what's your take on that? How do you deal with the person in the situation? Because you, you do come across as very caring, very, you know, not, not that tough no. you know, business leader. And I can see how people can really take advantage of that. Some, some intentionally and some unintentionally because yeah. some people just want to make a quick buck and do something else. We've had a couple of situations over the years where this has happened and I've, I've done several things. First of all, I think often those things take care of themselves if you let them. I think often those things just, they run their course. And, and usually... Um, I, I don't like confrontation. I'm not a, who does? Who likes confrontation? Sure. Sometimes if, like I said, if a situation presents itself where there is bigotry or bullying or anything like that, then I will take the ball by the horns. And then I think often at, at that point, a short, sharp shock is better than a protracted illness. Long term, yeah. It's better to just sort it out there and then and everybody's amazed that that happened, but it's forgotten and it's dealt with, you know, rather than a long drawn out thing. What also can happen though in business 
the reality of it is that employment law, employment law, it varies, doesn't it? And it often falls on the side of the employee. And I understand that because of the zero hours contracts that some people have been given, you know, don't get that one, but that's what happens. And so the law has to protect the employee. And I understand that. I'm not an employer that you have to be protected from, but there are, they're out there. And therefore the law has to protect employees. And I am a socialist. I do get that. You know, sometimes it backfires and then you have to accept that. But most times, to be honest, it's, it's okay. And on the rare occasion when we have had that, I have a mentor system in place. I pay a mentor system. So it's, it's an external system that tells me what the law is, what my legal, what my legal situation is. Because it, I can't always operate from the heart. If I always operate from the heart, I can come unglued. You know, right. like you say, there are people out there that will exploit your good nature. Therefore, you have to take, this is what years of being married to a lawyer did for me. I have to, <laughs> I have to know the law. And so I pay somebody externally. Most banks offer that service, you know, like uh, we're, we're with NatWest and we just, we, we pay for their mentoring. So even though we don't bank with NatWest, we can use their mentoring system because it's very good. And so then we give them the profile, we tell them what the problem is, and then they tell us what our options are. And that takes the emotion out of it. And that's what has to happen. Got Does that make sense? Absolutely. Then, yeah. As we got bigger, as we got bigger, I then brought in somebody who I trust implicitly as a general manager. And he takes that off me. Got it. I don't deal with that now. Awesome. Now, now we're coming towards the last part of the, of the podcast segment. What's your vision now with this company and with, your, with yourself? You know, you're at this stage. You've been doing this for 26 years. Uh, you've been doing an amazing work. You've started from nothing. Now you're here. What, what's your vision now? What's, what's next for you? What's, what's the next big thing? Where are we going next? Well, I mean, the business itself, Clarity Stamp, we've spent the last 25, 26 years drawing, making, and providing artists and crafters, predominantly crafters, with materials. And it's, it's very successful. When you look at the, the, our customers who have put us where we are, really, they are... People usually craft for a reason. It's an eye-opener. You cannot imagine how massive the craft industry is. But most people that craft, craft for a reason. And there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of disability, a lot of uh, pain management, a lot of um, depression, mental illness. All these things tend to gravitate towards craft and towards the community. So we've got a huge community now, clarity. I've spent many, many years with my daily blogging, with my TV, with, with shows, looking up, building a community and looking after it. Uh, very, it's a very strong community. And those ladies now and gentlemen who, who use our products, they, they belong to the, the greater family. Right, so your question is, what is my vision? So I've just started, and we're so busy though, the problem is that's the thing, the busyness, it kind of, it slows down. You, I've got so many ideas and plans, but because I'm so busy, you have to keep putting one foot in front of the other one and you can't get to the one, the vision, you know? Let, let, let's put it this way. <clears throat> so you're, let's say you're, 
hundred now, and then you look, you're looking back, and you're like, I'm glad I did this. This was my life's mission. I feel fulfilled. Yeah. What would that be? Well, this is the one I'm talking about because right. what we're doing now is I'm I'm starting to turn the business round, and I'm creating another business where my customers now can I'm provide I want to provide a platform where my customers now can create their art to sell. That's the next thing now. Got it. Okay. So they can, so they after can spending the last 20 years supporting my business. Now I want to turn that round and provide a platform for them to be able to uh, explore their business capabilities. Right. Give them the platform to showcase their talent and their... There we are. That's amazing. Wow. You are an amazing person. You give young people opportunities. You're, you're a, you, you, you run them like a family. You run your business like a family. You care about your customers. I mean, it's very, very hard to find someone that does that much. It, money, it's, it's amazing. money is a driver. That's what I would say, though. People that go get into business uh, because they want to get wealthy, right, they might as well stop right now. Because if money is your driver, if that's, if that's your motivator, then I don't, I don't, for me personally, I don't think that that is your answer. If everything that you do um, is about money, then you're in for a good heart. You'll get a hiding because that's not, that's, that's my own thought on it. Money will come. It comes, you know, and of course you've got to keep your eye on it. Of course you've got to keep your eye on it. But, but the trick is just to figure out your expenditure and your cost is quite, it's quite basic. The whole thing is quite basic, but you have to have, if you don't have a passion, if you don't have, if you don't have um, a social connection, then I, I can't see where, the, I mean, your business, your business, it, there is a social connection, isn't there? It's not about the money, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? I, I, the money I've seen, comes. Absolutely. I've seen, I've seen, for me personally, I help people that are in corporate jobs are, are really, they're highly paid, but they're, they're not passionate. They're, they're dead. Their soul's dead, basically. Mm. They just walk in every morning. They just want to wait till five o'clock and wait till Friday so they can have a few drinks and that was it. And I was like that for, for many, many years. And, and I, I, I want to help those people. You know, money is not their issue. Their issue is I have this dream or aspiration. I don't know what to do, where to begin. And when you see that person go, you know what? I've made my, I've helped this person or I've, I've done this. And I wanted to do this all my life. And I, I've done this now and I feel so amazing. Just, just see that, it's, it's an amazing feeling for me. Yeah. Yeah, because that's my whole point. For me, my, my, my life, it's important for me um, to be a good person. This sounds so simple, right? Yeah. But that's, that's the bottom line. For me, it's important to be a good person. That's all, right? And the reward for being a good person is that. There is, that is the reward. So if I have the ability, if God gave me the ability or the skill set to, to speak several languages, to bring together, to draw, to, um, to reach out, to teach, to motivate, if I've been given all those gifts and I can, I can turn that into a business that employs people and gives people a safe place to, to live and work and thrive, then I would be doing... I would be doing society a disservice if I didn't use that. That's how I see it. But that's all I'm here for. I'm not here to make a million. That is my job. Awesome. Is that any uh, good? Uh, that's perfect. That's brilliant. Uh, just one last thing. 
what has been your uh, maybe some of your some of your highs or some of your lows during this time that you've been running this business that you'd like to share with people something that stands highs yeah something that stands out maybe one high one low that really stands out um i remember one of the highs of my life was being invited to speak about trust at the family business at the family business conference um at the science institute and um and one of the lows of my life one of the lows where was the low i don't know when have i had lows in business business or life you think you started this journey and you were like oh my god this can't go any worse oh those yeah yeah well there i've had a few of those <laughs> <laughs> i've had a few of those that's a whole other that i could write a book about them but they form you they it's not it's never what happens to you i remember when the father of the children left and i went from living in california you know with the sea lions and the pelicans thinking that life doesn't you know you come from london or you come from the medway you live in medway and then you end up there you think that life doesn't get better than this but it does it turns on a sixpence you know and when he when he walked out on me and the kids i remember thinking my life just went to shit completely you know but yeah. it it's not it's not what happens to you it's how you respond to it that will ultimately affect you right it doesn't matter what happens to you and i ended up coming back to england and and i have to say back in that t- at that time it was in 1995 when i came home with the kids and um and i ended up living in a bed and breakfast i didn't have anywhere to so i went from from this multi-million pound business in germany and all this success and wealth wealth you know what's it called luxury in yeah. california to be an absolutely potless in east peckham <laughs> with two little kids however that's what makes yeah, that's, what, that's makes, what makes you that's what gives you the foundation to know not to overspend that's what tells you to be sensible that's what tells you you don't really need a new car this car's fine and and funnily enough my children who are now great business people and doing leading fantastic lives of their own they they have that instilled in them as well they do not live beyond their means they know wow. better than that it's, it's a lesson they learned from you and now they carry that absolutely definitely yeah and so if i did anything right yeah i raised two fabulous little kids too well it's been amazing chatting to you and i wish you the best of luck with your company with with your with your life with your vision it's it's amazing it's you are definitely the one of the stand up people i've ever spoken to oh thank who, you very much who does so much and your story is definitely very very interesting and anyone listening to this you know should be inspired should be uh this is how you build a business where it cares about your customers it cares about its people and you know and it's successful and any of opportunities coming your way and i'm sure you have a long way to go uh where you want to get to uh, yeah. one thing i will say though and what is really important is um that i keep a clear head i keep a very clear head i don't drink i don't drug i don't do mind altering substances i i go to bed as sharp as a pin and i wake up as sharp as a pin oh you do drink coffee though don't you i drink the occasional coffee oh that's okay But then <laughs> you understand what i mean i think Absolutely. i i've watched people lose lose themselves in hangovers and um and i don't have that i don't do that and i think it's very important for me personally um that's one of the one of the key points of 
our, our business is that. And a good partner. That's something else that I haven't mentioned. I have a, a really loving, supportive husband now. A sure. different one. <laughs> but he, he is amazing. And he contributes to the business and we work together. But right. that, that also is, is vital. That you surround yourself with people who get you. Who get Got you. It. There's no point in having a partner who, who thinks you're wasting time. You know, or, or you, you, know, you should be doing something different. Yeah, they, they have to have the same mission, the same game as you, the same enthusiasm, the drive, the passion. Or Otherwise, respect just, what you're doing. Just absolutely. respect what you're doing. Yeah, if they can't support you, you know, it's better that you're not together or, 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 or you know, at least in the business sense, you know. I do, I do think if, you know, it's very important if you do run a business and you're an entrepreneur, if you're, even if your partner doesn't work inside the business, the partner should respect your, your business and respect your passion and your... And if that's missing, then it's a battle. It, it's a battle outside of the business, which you really don't want. Absolutely. That's a good point, Ren. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to turn your idea into a business and escape the corporate rat race, then check out my Business Accelerator program which takes you from idea to making sales. Visit www.jazzbearaurora.com and remember, only the brave have fun.